0: Some of my best sort of memories were, it was only twice this happened, but it's just, alhamdulillah, just sitting with Um, um Sahel in particular and just having tea and asking mm. her questions. And it was just so beneficial to be in that relaxed environment and just mm. be able to learn. I, another time I can think of, um, maybe it was during Ramadan that we had, and someone had an iftar. And one of the sheikhs came and just getting to sit with her and ask her questions in, in a more casual manner. And it is incredibly beneficial just to be around those people. Yeah, And I do think that in a sense, that's where the real learning is, because mm-hmm. to learn the book knowledge and to not see it applied, there's always going to mm-hmm. be something missing.
1: we're here today on a solo with uh i'm sitting here with nuruddin knight and with their father yusuf so uh I'd like to welcome you both to uh, the safina society podcast uh, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. uh you uh you're coming from originally from brooklyn and then you moved to jersey a year ago you moved to uh, a nice part of jersey which is uh, west orange which is maybe about 45 minutes north of us. So Alhamdulillah that you're in the area. Uh, You recently, what got my attention recently was your book. And as I was telling your father, uh, not just the idea of the book, but the actual uh, image of the book was bright yellow and it just had a big 40 on it, right? And then it said 40 hadiths of our mother Aisha. So that's the first thing that got my attention uh, that you actually, you know, you write, you're doing other things. So... um, we're going to get to your book a little bit uh, later towards the end, but I did want to tell everyone in, uh, that your book is out there. It's available on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. And it's available um, probably in other bookstores. I think you saw it on Barnes and Noble, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was up uh, certain Barnes and Nobles probably mm-hmm. might have it. How did you get your book out there?
0: In terms of Barnes and Noble? Yeah. And- like, how did
1: you? I mean, no, it's pretty hard to get on their radar. So how'd you get that?
0: You know... It was much easier, I think, than you than oh. people would think. Um, uh-huh. In terms of if you just want to get your, when people say Barnes and Nobles, they think worldwide or nationwide. Yeah. Um, but if you start with just like Barnes and Nobles, by Barnes and Nobles, each individual bookstore, it's mm. actually a lot easier. They were okay. actually very welcoming and, and happy to have my book.
1: And how from. did you actually like? Did you just call the store manager?
0: We went there. You just showed up. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. My, I, well, I have to credit my mom for because I would have never thought it was that easy either. Yeah. But she was bold enough, I guess, to just go and ask them, Hey, my daughter has this book. Can you guys order it? And yeah. they were happy to. Oh, that's love. great. Yeah. That's great. Know. And which
1: one was that? Was that the, in this New Jersey was, or New York?
0: Um, In New York. So it was, it's at three in New York. There's a Barnes and Noble by Warren Street in Manhattan. Okay. There's one in Brooklyn. And there's another one in Manhattan. I don't completely remember. Huh. Um, but I was there when we went to the one in Brooklyn and they were very welcoming they said we'll put it in the window they were just over the top and welcoming and I don't know if that's a unique experience but but that was my experience now
1: how do you actually uh, track sales do you could you Mm -hmm. call them up and you say like how's it is it moving Mm -hmm. do you go in for how does that work
0: in terms of at the actual store, I I don't really know. Um, so when I've went back, I I only went back to the one on Warren Street, and there was one left. So I'm not sure. One out if, of half, out of how many? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you don't know thing. how many like, they ordered. I, okay. Yeah, I okay. can tell how many books are sold, but I can't tell exactly oh, who's okay. buying it. Yeah. So oh, I'm not I see. Sure.
1: Now, and so you know how many are sold. How how does that track?
0: Um, that well, that's more of a technical thing. I don't know yeah. if you want me to talk about. It's kind of yeah. I'm just but, curious. Okay. Yeah. So people write people uh, yeah. write
1: books, and then yeah. like, how do they know what's going on if there's movement? Like, yeah. I can write a post, and you see that there's movement. There's a reaction. Right. So how right. does an author know that there's a reaction?
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess in general, I would say two ways. So for one, you could publish a book and publish it directly on a website, so you know exactly when people are buying your book yeah. because you have direct control over that. Um, for me, I used a a, a publishing company called Ingram, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people, if you're amateur, just meaning your first time writing a book, would kind of be intimidated by Ingram. Like, um, there's Blurb, mm. which is much more friendly. Like, if you're googling, you know, self-publishing, Blurb is a much more friendly website, mm. but Ingram is. Um, they immediately like have your book at least available to a Barnes and Nobles. For, for instance, if it wasn't through there, then even if they were welcoming, if they couldn't easily get my book through that um, right, publishing so. company, they probably wouldn't have. I got you. Um, so, yeah, technically and anyone can reach out to me and ask yeah. me about that and I'll, and I'll tell them more. But um, that was a big help. But it took getting over that intimidation because it's not a friendly website. Yeah. <laughs> so Alhamdulillah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so now let's get to, straight to the meat and potatoes, and then we're going to put the sort of background biographical stuff and how you came to write the book uh, at the tail end. So let's get first to uh, pathways for women studying the deen. This is a big issue. and. One of the common things said is that, well, uh, men study and then they teach the women and their family. Well, that's all Mm -hmm. fine and good. But there is also um, an issue with that. The issue being that in any field, whenever your parent crosses a line into another field, it's never the Mm -hmm. same, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, People want to discover their own teachers, Mm -hmm. right? People want to view the teacher as a teacher. It's very hard to be a teacher and be disciplining your kids or Mm -hmm. telling them do this and do that. right Right. so those things all get in the way the environment of the teaching too in the home is oftentimes too informal it's too Mm. too many distractions so talk to me a little bit about uh, women's pathways of studying the dean here in america Mm -hmm. specifically i guess we're you know talking about the east coast um so yeah tell me about that um
0: so when i first wanted to just further my knowledge of islam Alhamdulillah, I had parents who were reading and going to the local masajid. And then my eldest sister was the first one to actually travel somewhat. So she was in California. She got to study with um, Sheikh Hamza and Imam Said. So I wanted to follow that pathway of studying more about the deen. So I just, the first thing I did was Google it. What are the local classes? And it's interesting now that I think, oh, I didn't just go to my local masjid. And um, just a sort of a side point, I think that unfortunately a lot of the times the masjid isn't as woman-friendly, um, so that, that isn't the first pathway for a lot of women. They don't feel so welcome to the masjid uh, for, for a multitude of reasons. So I had Googled, you know, what are some classes, and I found the Mecca Center in mm. New York. Mm. So that was the first place that I started learning, and Alhamdulillah, Imam Amin was there, uh, of Atlantic it. city. And so we took, I think we exhausted all the classes he was teaching what year, there. What year was that? SubhanAllah. Um, now...
1: 2007?
0: Probably, definitely more more than five years ago. Could be more than seven years ago. So you took point. a
1: lot of classes with Sheikh Amin.
0: Yeah, alhamdulillah. And the, the thing with the center, which which had its plus and minus, is that it was for beginners. Mm-hmm. So once you exhausted that, it was kind of difficult to know yeah. who, where do I go from here. So, alhamdulillah, there were some other sisters who also were just very enthusiastic about learning. And so we got to continue our studies with Imam Amin, and he taught us outside of, of the classroom environment. So, that is one thing that I have to say. In a sense, I was just fortunate. I couldn't mm-hmm. really say someone else could do that because you need an enthusiastic teacher that is willing to say, okay, I'll help you.
1: Sheikh Amin is enthusiastic, mm-hmm. he's um, out there. And his students come out solid, right? They do not come out fluffy-wuffy and <laughs> let's all just uh, have coffee and and, and, and and smoke Oud or something like that, right? Uh, the So, Sheikh, I want people to know, Sheikh Amin, you can follow his uh, stuff. He does have Instagram. And I was just looking, just incidentally, I, I look at his stuff. And um, I think it's called Masjid Muhammad on Instagram. And he does yeah. have, you just look up Sheikh Amin Muhammad Mm-hmm. on facebook he's out there and i th- i personally think it's very important for at least some ulama to be out there and accessible to the people because the mm-hmm. internet is today it's just how people work right mm-hmm. it's part of life right and why Absolutely. maybe we'll be asked on al qiyamah one adam said why do you use the internet to another scholar <laughs> right maybe allah will ask you for doing something allah and his messenger never did then he replied back he said maybe allah asked me i gave you this means to talk to the people why don't you use it right so that's Sheikh amin is solid and his videos are out there his stuff is out there
0: Very true. Yeah. continue so yeah we continued with that and then and i did take online classes also along the way seekers guidance and what was then qibla is now kiflan and then I went, and I wanted to further my studies, and I went to Jordan for two Allahumma. years.
1: How To Kassid I'm assuming.
0: Um, well, I went to Kassid but sort of the Islamic classes are just the shayuk who are there. Who I see. Are teaching, okay, good.
1: Um, Who were and, some of the scholars there?
0: Um, Shekhna, <speaking in Hebrew> <speaking in> Hafidullah, <Hebrew> a lot of people that, that no one would know, but um Al Khair, Dr. Ashraf, uh, and there were other teachers I'm forgetting the sister's name But alhamdulillah uh, There's a, a teacher that I learned from that It, it really showed me a, a lot of the female shayouk did But this teacher in particular showed me The benefit of learning with female shayouk Because it was a book that we had studied before hmm. uh, But with with this female shayouk Then we were able to pause and focus On the things that really affected hmm. us as women and so we spent three four classes on subjects that were really important to us that when i learned the book before mm-hmm. it wasn't passed over but it was taught as as anything else was taught so that was really beneficial um alhamdulillah so yeah i, I studied there and then i came back home and have just been attempting to keep uh-huh. it up in review and now all
1: tell that. me um how about when you studied there was there suhba with those uh scholars for example uh, there are people who learn in different ways. That not every Muslim is a classroom type or yeah. a majlis type, and you need a, a middle class, right? So you have your people yes. who study. The people who study, you actually, the people have um, uh, sharp minds and they're driven. You don't have to worry about them, mm. but they need a middle class, and that middle class oftentimes they don't do so well in the classes, but mm. they like to hang around <laughs> the social gatherings. Mm pertaining to the scholars and they pick mm-hmm. up something here and there and they ask a question and they improve in their deen even if they don't improve academically or, or in knowledge so mm-hmm. uh, that's why suhba is so important and i have met so many people who are always they're like the second tier mm-hmm. around the scholars mm-hmm. and the students of knowledge that they're at every their heart's in the right place mm-hmm. right they're at every gathering they know the mashaykh and they so it they learn mainly from the suhba. They might not understand a clue of the dust, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why sohbah is so important. And that's what I wanted to ask. Like when you went in Jordan and you had these uh, women scholars, did they have sohbahs? Did they have lunches? Mm -hmm. Did they have, you know, things like that?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely did. Um, Yeah, alhamdulillah. Some of my best sort of memories were, it was only twice this happened, but it's just alhamdulillah. Just sitting with Um, um Sahal in particular and just having tea and asking mm. her questions. And it was just so beneficial to be in that relaxed environment and just mm. be able to learn. Uh, another time I can think of, um, maybe it was during Ramadan that we had, and someone had an iftar and one of the sheikhs came and just getting to sit with her and ask her questions in, in a more casual way. Manner and it is incredibly beneficial just to be around those people, yeah. And I do think that, in a sense, that's where the real learning is because mm-hmm. to learn the book knowledge and to not see it applied, there's always going mm-hmm. to be something missing. To see it applied is really, really, alhamdulillah, really beneficial. That's
2: exactly
1: the thing when people want to ask, Well, why do I have to take it from a sheikh? The book is there. Well, the, the shaykh is going to uh, explain certain hard parts. Okay, well, the explanations are there. Uh, well, the shaykh is going to give you the barakah of the senate. Well, okay, well, the Senate uh, the, a lot of people have senate and they mm-hmm. are off, they didn't benefit from it. But the answer to the question is because you see the application, mm-hmm. right? Which gets us to the point that ilm is only taking, taken from a source that you would actually trust mm-hmm. to take his book of deeds on Yom Al-Qiyamah. And there was a man uh, in Yale who was a professor. He's Greek, right? He had some books that some people liked. And I myself looked at the books and he was like, wow, he knows his stuff. Mm -hmm. When I sat in his seminar, the man loathes the deen. He mocks it. He jokes. You don't see it in the book, in the writing, right? But that's his haqiqa is that he loathes this deen. He's in there to try to get into the core of it and tear it out. You can tell. So what do we say? Uh, Don't obey them. Don't even listen to them. Right? Mm. Anyone who uh, don't listen. Other verses tell us, don't even listen to someone who is heedless, let alone mocking and doing these Mm. things. So we take our knowledge from hearts first. We assess the heart by seeing the signs. There are signs of piety. There are signs of of sunnah and taqwa. Allah gave us these signs so that we could know them. So that's where suhba is so important. And have you been able to keep up with them? Are they, do they use technology, and yeah. things like that or no?
0: I think that is the difficulty. and And I almost feel like part of the drawback in being a sort of female student of knowledge, I don't think that those connections are as easy to keep up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely blame myself as well. Um, but, like, I know well, my sure <laughs> if I email them, they'll email me back maybe a month later. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're very busy. It's more an people. age thing
1: than anything mm-hmm. else, really, mm-hmm. if you think about mm-hmm. it.
0: Yeah, 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 very true. And so uh, the the main way that I keep up is in still reading um, Sheikhoun's articles and um, listening to, alhamdulillah, to the lessons that yeah. he has online.
1: Alhamdulillah, good, good. Now, uh, that comes to the issues. When you came back you have uh you know this background you're coming on to a scene and sometimes when you spend two years two years is not terribly much right and in an age of technology you're always sort of up to date but a lot of students yeah unfortunately it's hard to get out of uh the web but uh people come back they Mm -hmm. see the scene right Mm -hmm. and they're taken aback and certain things that they studied are not the medicines that are needed Right. And 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 the problems that you come back are, uh that you come back to see are different than what you expected. Hmm. Right. So when I remember when I came back from studying, I really wanted to convince everyone about, you know, the importance of doing dhikr. Right. Hmm. But then you came back and you're like, people don't even believe their belief in Allah shaky. Right. Hmm. And they have multiple loyalties. So we realize that something you didn't actually study yeah. ends up being your biggest Uh, Point of uh, address Mm -hmm. in the Dawah. So uh, that leads me to this second question. All right. What are the biggest issues you see Mm -hmm. facing Muslims in America? And you could break it up socially, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: politically, theologically, spiritually.
0: Um, So I would first say that, alhamdulillah, I don't think I had that same problem because one of the things that I really love and admire about Sheikh is that. he is an intellectual in mm-hmm. a sense, so he draws from sort of academic works mm-hmm. and research to further hone in on some kind of Islamic principle that he's yeah. trying to you yeah. know, teach us. So, Hamnina, I don't think I had the same problem of that disconnect. Um, when it comes to the biggest issues in... I guess in the West I think one of the biggest difficulties and again why I was happy to go there and learn with Shefno in particular is trying to bridge this gap between our academic studies and our faith Mm. and it's it's very difficult because you come out of college and you know, it's it's an indoctrination, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember who I was speaking to recently. But you know, we there's this point of view that academia is. Ob- oh, I, it's my sister Fatima and her husband. That academia is objective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it really isn't, but unfortunately, even as Muslims, sometimes we believe that. Mm-hmm. And alhamdulillah, I think because I had some level of Islamic knowledge before I went mm-hmm. to at least to grad school, um, then that was pretty beneficial. But I quickly saw that oh, they aren't just about the research. For for example, I wanted to talk to one of my teachers about the effects of divorce on children. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's loads of research on this, but she was just kind of like, ah, that's been done already. Like, mm. you don't need to do that. <laughs> um, and, and then, and there were similar incidents. I I tried to speak up once about the uh, impact of fatherlessness. Let's not let's not get into that, you yeah. know, because now we can have two moms and two dads. So yeah. you throw away all the twenty years, fifty years of research. <laughs> Your father's shaking his head.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to get a reaction from you, yeah. from your father. I yeah. mean, you you seem to have um, seen a lot. Now, you, when did you enter enter
2: Islam? Uh, I entered Islam. Yeah, you I, I entered Islam at the age of nineteen, so that was in nineteen seventy-seven. It's nineteen seventy-seven. So, sem- actually, of, October the thirteenth, 1970 You know that that's actually a famous
1: year for converts. That's the year Sheikh Nuah became Muslim. Sheikh Hamza became Muslim. I think some other in people. Hamzae, Hamzae became. Really? I think they all became Muslim. Same. Alhamdulillah. Year. So nineteen, nineteen, and I sense. Are you from Trinidad? I'm I am from Trinidad. How so do you sense that? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the
2: knowledge of accents. Is, <laughs> yeah. Really so know.
1: you've seen the gamut of what Muslims went through in the eighties, nineties, two thousands right and now yeah. we're at the end of the decade of the 10s whatever what do we call that decade I don't even know the 10s whatever uh, so uh, subhanallah when when uh, when Nuruddin said uh, you know having two moms is not a problem he was just like shaking your head right? <laughs> reaction so tell us like how are you how do you you know handle seeing things move so quickly and all the new issues it's so many people have been like left in the dust because it's just the change is too fast mm-hmm.
2: Well, first of all, let me just say I, I totally agree with what Nuruddin said that, you know, academia claims to be objective. It's hmm. not objective. Yeah. It comes from a perspective, right? They have their own filter, their own sense of values that they try to promote. You know, I, I put it this way. I think, and you know, to say something like this in these days and times is almost controversial. Uh-huh. But I think there are certain intrinsic Differences between men and women, as well as obviously some socially engineered differences. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. And I think, you know, men and women bring different types of energy, different types of principles mm-hmm. to the family that I think children really do benefit from. Totally. You know, and I've, I've said to people, I've said this over and over again, that it is tough enough for. Two parents, a father and a mother, who are sane, Uh who are fairly Mm well-educated, fairly well-intelligent, fairly well-adjusted to life in this world, to raise children who are normal and strong and well-adjusted and progressive and ambitious and, you know, have all the good qualities we want our children to have. Mm -hmm. It is tough enough for two parents to do it. Mm -hmm. To me it's hard to imagine how one parent alone Mm -hmm. can really do it and do a good job Mm -hmm. i am well aware there are some single parents who do a marvelous job but i'm willing to bet there's a whole lot more Mm -hmm. who struggle very very hard with that i think children really do need the contributions of a father and mother to grow up Mm -hmm. Well balanced in today's world, yeah. you've seen uh,
1: commentary on uh, all male things, like mm-hmm. criticism. Uh, for example, all males in uh, uh, in a panel, right? All males in this criticism. That why isn't there female representation? Recognizing right that sentiment recognizes that women are going to bring a different perspective, mm-hmm. right? So this is a, something though you find in homes though this idea of you need a, a, a man and a woman to raise a child in a home to give him balance and to give her the, to give her daughter or son balance right and to give them two different perspectives you find that that's actually absent mm-hmm. and the opposite's being promoted it's almost like the idea of uh, a mom and a dad is something they're intentionally trying to break up right and if one of the things if you look at the black lives matter website one of the things that they're actually trying to break up is that mm-hmm. that this is actually you know, as, it, as if it's something, uh, um, you know, uh, that's brought upon people, forced upon them, uh, uh, as if it's not a natural thing, right? Mm-hmm. Both in, the, in, in, the nat- in nature, in the world, and in history. Mm-hmm. So that your point about uh, men and women have, needing a man and needing a woman in a house, right, is actually something that is something that needs to be brought up, right? Because you have okay. forces fighting this and forces telling us, uh, you know, giving us opposite models, which have not been tested, right haven't been tested so when
2: yeah I I just want to say something about that I remember many years ago when when I was in college I I took a course I think it was in sociology or psychology Mm -hmm. and one of the things this textbook said it it talked about the benefits of this institution called the family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it made the point that the family is so essential to human life and to the proper development of, trin- uh, of children, mm. that if human beings had not developed families, however they did, yeah. we would have had to invent it uh-huh. in order to really prevent and rectify some of the problems that come about without family. And you know, just even beyond the so-called nuclear family, I would say the whole idea of the extended family, the, mm-hmm. the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents, mm-hmm makes an essential contribution to the lives of human beings. Mm -hmm. As they said, the old saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. I think this is very true.
1: I think it's totally true. And this one of the things that we, as an immigrant family, like my parents, we never had extended family. Right? You try to make friends in the masjid, but it's not the same, right? Extended family means an aunt that's like you can be with them or alone or an uncle, right? Or someone that's going to, uh, whether they like it or not, be with you. Because in communities, they're going to be with you when they like you, <laughs> right? And the moment that they, you start bothering them, well, we're not related, right? So uh, one of the things that these extended families do is it keeps people busy out of trouble. It gives mm. passes on norms, right? It passes on the norms of things, right? Uh, It spreads out resources, right? And that was it's like your safety net. Uh, We didn't have this. And converts as well, may have lost their that extended family. And now in this second generation, we can actually start rebuilding that. And there are very few people in our community, maybe you can name the families that are big enough that you could say, these people have support, right? Maybe five, six families. Everyone else is like, we have just the immigrants that came over or the converts that became Muslim, right? right. So, so, talk to us a little bit. Do you uh, uh, do you have a big extended family? Talk to us about that. Like, what's the experience like? Either one of you.
0: Yeah, alhamdulillah, I, I would say we do. Um, and my dad took his Shahada, my mom took her Shahada. Um, one of her brothers also took his shahada. One of my dad's brothers took his shahada. So we have a couple of Muslims mm. in our extended family as well. And alhamdulillah, definitely, we we had that support growing up, especially from my mom's side and my uncles coming over. Um, my aunt on my dad's side is, is living in another country, so it was a little different. But my dad, actually, it's interesting that you say as an immigrant you came alone, but my dad... Um, he came, and his cousins came, and, mm. and uh, with my mom, who was her and her brothers, so they did have some support, like mm. a, a lot of Caribbean, it was like one person came, mm. and then they brought over other people over time. Both so, parents
1: are Caribbean? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Well.
0: Trinidad, and then Guyana.
1: MashaAllah. So, yeah, Guyana being in?
0: Uh, South America.
1: South America. Okay, mashaAllah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's get back now to this <laughs> issue. What are the biggest issues facing Muslims in... America right now.
0: Okay, so we spoke about um, the, the trying to bridge the gap between your academic understanding and mm-hmm. ethos and your Islamic ethos. Um and one other thing I'd just say about that is that um a lot of us are Muslim. We're born into Islam, but we don't actually know much about Islam. So we come into this secular environment thinking that we know what Islam is and what it means to be a Muslim and, and that we don't even necessarily have to learn it mm-hmm. and so it's so easy for us to be indoctrinated with that so you know, part of the the problem or the solution rather is just to learn something about your deen before going in that environment um, I would say another big issue is clearly gender issue um, a lot of men having issues with women and women having issues with men um, and you brought up the all-male panels thing. And I think that there are a lot of real issues when it comes to gender. Oh, I think you were going to get to gender in you a little can, while. You can, yeah, you can okay. get into that. Okay, I think there are a lot of real issues when it comes to gender, but unfortunately sometimes um, the opposition is too reactionary and they, they go to another extreme. And What then,
1: opposition type? Like...
0: So uh, let's say with the all-male panel that um, I would say a justified opposition would be we need more female scholars, more female shayuk. You need to invite one or two women, whatever. You shouldn't have continuously at least all-male panels. You drew one year. Let's try to not do that again. And I understand people want representation. I think the extreme end of that is saying you have an all-male panel, so we're boycotting your organization. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that kind of see. There's there's a part of me that understands that frustration, but um, and so maybe people feel like well we have to get to that extreme just to get back to to the middle. Mm. Um, but I think there are better ways to go about that, and I I don't believe. Uh, this is another issue with this idea of uh liberalism progressive progressivism and and feminism i don't believe that men kind of set out to oppress women but unfortunately if you have that point of view this sort of feminist perspective then when you see an all-male panel immediately it's malicious Mm -hmm. um whereas sometimes it honestly isn't or at least give people a chance you know to to correct that um, so yeah, I think sometimes the the opposition is extreme and just extreme in our language and the way in which we talk to each other. Um, having the strands of the more traditionalist Muslim versus the progressive Muslims yeah. another issue in our community. Um, so I don't know; those are the sort of the big things that I can think of um, immediately. I
1: I always felt that <clears throat> one of my issues with the social justice types is that they're looking at right and wrong and they want to do justice and they want to do the right thing. But that whole uh, environment is solely oriented to issues. There isn't a sense of spirituality connected. It's not a religion, right? Can you imagine if I gave someone, a raw person, a book of fiqh, and I said, you know, get everyone to follow this book, right? And I didn't give him anything of Shema'ila the Prophet. Sira of the prophet like how the prophet dealt with people i didn't gave him anything about the heart like how do how do you know that your heart is getting hard right and uh what you end up with is a lot of judgmentalism right mm-hmm. now people say that religious people are judgmental <laughs> i don't think it's judgmental to say that i believe this is the truth and that's false that we're talking about abstractions at that point right that's an abstract point or that's a, that's an issue but when it comes to what i find a lot with the social justice types mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't even know if that the whole thing is out of fashion, I think. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but those is that mm-hmm. they're very judgmental, right? It's oh. almost like you're actually attacking. You're going into intentions at this point. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the claims to sexism, claims to racism, claims to these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can You can talk as much as you want about the point or the words mm-hmm. that were said. Mm-hmm. But once you pass on and go into the mind of the person, Right? Like you're trying Mm -hmm. to do this, you're trying to do that, and you're, or someone's being uh, this or that, you've actually crossed a line that's impossible to to Mm -hmm. prove, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why the other day when I put out that um, comment on uh, Rashida Mm Tsalib, I was like, I don't want, I don't have any beef with her, right? I have no interest in uh, her motives, Mm -hmm. good or bad or ugly, and Mm -hmm. what she believes. But I wanted to clarify for people the point. And that's why I always say separate between the point and the person, and Absolutely. any and all those discussions, they all go down the toilet mm-hmm. as soon as you start attacking right. the individual, right? Yeah. So that's one of the biggest issues that um, those things aren't religions; they're not holistic; mm-hmm. they don't treat the human being, right? Right. right? And there's also, if you think about, it, there's no third space mm-hmm. where you would might accident- accidentally bump into someone, mm-hmm. like you would actually not want to have much beef with people with with another muslim you might bump into him in the masjid <laughs> how awkward is that going to be and you could bump into him in hajj <laughs> right i've bumped into people in hajj right <laughs> so having that yeah. should make our mm-hmm. inner discourse like yeah. a little bit more mellow and you can attack the point as vociferously verif- right. as you want you yeah. can be aggressive mm-hmm. on the point
0: yeah absolutely.
1: without taking it across to the person
0: yeah that that's so important and uh, two things i want to say about that the first is that i actually saw recently um brother Ismail that you may know Royer. Royer, yes yeah. um and he came to the black american muslim conference and we had had some kind of argument like a while back mm-hmm. and only recently i saw oh i'm not following him like what happened i completely forgot like what yeah. what the issue even was And when we saw each other in person, we just spoke about it briefly, and I just really had to think, like, subhanAllah, we, unfortunately, in the internet world, were so willing to say, like, you don't disagree with me, forget about you. But when you're met with the whole person, and you you feel at least that there was no malice, there was no bad intention then it's like this is not like this yeah. is not who i want to be like this is not humane yeah. to just say i'm done with you because we had a disagreement um so i'm i i hope i can keep that with me because i think when you think of the real person it will definitely change our discourse yeah. like you said we can meet each other in a third space do is that really the conversation that we would have yeah. if we were in person yeah yeah
1: and 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 because as a community we have this uh, third space, but meaning that you have your home, your work, and then yeah. whether it's a masjid or uh, mainly it's going to be a masajid or mm-hmm. a conference or Hajj or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the other thing is that what I've developed as a strategy to n- not bother myself, right, mm-hmm. is to as soon, the moment, like I don't wait, I don't give three chances anymore. The moment I see that someone's going personal, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. That discussion is muted, cancelled, yeah. over, right? Because I've learned enough, I've, I've been burned so many times that you're trying to deal with something. The moment, like one chance, yeah. Yeah. and that conversation's muted, and that person is I muted, know. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's it's why I think. Yeah, I
0: did want to um, mention what you said about uh, Rashida leave. yeah. If you don't mind. Talib, I guess it's Rashida Talib, right? Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about this point. Yeah inshallah so and you made a you made a good point as well today on on twitter about god's attributes not being feminine or his names rather not being feminine or masculine because god is before everything else Mm -hmm. um so that i found that really valuable so but i did want to talk about so this usage of the she pronoun and Mm -hmm. sort of the defense of he like there there was a part of me that felt like Mm -hmm. As Muslims, we don't necessarily have an affinity to this pronoun he, right? Because Allah responds himself by hua. Yeah. And, and then when we get into, of course, maybe that's the best translation. Some people would say it is the best translation. Um, but of course, when we get into English, then we have this complication of, one, he always referring to a man, but then two, he... Um, but then also being in a Christian, not as religious, but yeah. still that, that being the mainstream religion, then he does literally refer to a man. Yeah. So, if I can ask you, sure. so how do you deal with um, people's honest discomfort in using he in English because of those reasons and then when someone refers to God as she as long as they're not or I should say, if they're not changing the meaning of God and who God is and all of that, mm-hmm. then what is technically the issue from okay. within English, not the Arabic? What just within? So English.
1: within, when we translate, you're going to translate on dominant meanings. That's the first yeah. thing, right? She become so he can be discussed mm-hmm. in the English language. You would have to pull out some grammar books or, or mm-hmm. some linguists uh, texts on the nature of he, right? That's the first thing. So I'm not that so I'm not a linguist uh, uh, and I'm not even uh, hardly have much interest in those nuances in the English language maybe I sh- we probably should learn uh, about he yeah. but so there could be discussion on that it I would t- toss out because it's inanimate mm. it is always inanimate right, right? so that would, you would toss out yeah. it's a not a living thing yeah okay and, hi- and to be uh, you know hayat is one of the 13 attributes right mm. rationally comprehensible attributes you must have this attribute. Um as for she, you could also rule it out because mm. you it's you're saying here right? When you say she, hmm. you it we are we aren't we are translating by dominant terms, right?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. there
1: is no other translation to the Arabic language for she, for she except here hmm. right? And you're ruling that out for that purpose.
0: Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: Right? And she ends up having the same exact issue as he.
0: Of course. Right?
1: Because if he is totally gendered, she is also totally gendered. Right. Right? So therefore, you you do end up with two possibilities. You got the possibility of using the best possible translation. Mm -hmm. Okay? And for that, he ends up being the most dominant, the best possible translation for the simple reason. Mm -hmm. Is that... Hua in the Arabic language, when they say that it counts, it stands for the, it stands for the animate and inanimate, right? Yeah. So uh, you could, uh, a lot of things you could say about Hua, right? Mm-hmm. But as inanimate, because we don't have it in Arabic. Mm-hmm. But what is the living genderless besides Allah and angels? Nothing, right? So when they define, when Hua is said that Hua, the word Hua includes the living, and the genderless. That's worked backwards for its definition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? The do- the origin of the definition is to determine or is to point to m- males and masculine things. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or default anything that does not have a Butta, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. or the requirements of femininity. Mm-hmm. Right? And then when Allah and His angels were referred, like Jibreel alayhi salam, were referred to as mm-hmm. huwa, right. then we had to Include that as one of the pointers of Hua, right? But that Hua was not sort of made Mm. for angels, Mm -hmm. right? For the living genderless. Mm. So Hua was made for masculine things and the default pronoun. Mm. But then as a definition, you had to add in the living genderless, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is God and angels because that's how it's used. And language is defined based on use, right? Right. So that's the one point about he. But Mm -hmm. you can still debate. I have no problem. The other route is you introduce huwa. That's totally Qur'anic, right? Mm. In the same way, it says, don't say that Allah has a hand. Yeah. Because Allah said he He attributed to himself yad. Mm. He did not attribute himself hand. You translated as hand. Why did you translate it as hand? Right. You could have translated right. it as something else. Yad right. has many meanings. Yeah. Why did you choose that meaning? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So in the same way that we treat the sifats are fine. Treat the mm-hmm. uh, pronouns, the dama'ir like that too. And say hua, but here's a problem, you're going to end up being silly, because you're going to have to remove the yeah. helping verbs. Right. We say, he is the creator.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I want to say, hua is the creator. Now, this makes no sense. There's no helping verbs when you use a pronoun, hua creator, right? Yeah. That's what you would have to say. So you end up, you're going to sound silly, right? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, those are the issues, right? Yeah
0: no alhamdulillah just khair for the explanation I I do I guess my concern is that I feel that whatever discomfort and the genuine people there are people who are just trying to be progressive Mm -hmm. and have an ideology and you know we don't care about that but those who are honestly concerned um, should be addressed in in full and and not be can
1: you explain something I I don't personally understand because well I'm not female so Mm. i don't have that perspective right explain to me exactly what is discomforting (laughs) about a pronoun (laughs)
0: explain
1: just explain to me because um are you on the same page as me on this (laughs) right do you understand what is discomforting (laughs) about it because i don't like genuinely what is like you're going to read allah okay is that going to be a source of discomfort for somebody Mm -hmm. because if it is in english it should be in arabic because the dominant statement is Arabic, right? The dominant use of hua is for masculine things yeah. or default.
0: Right, right. And that's the thing in Arabic, that there is the default. Yeah. And even in English in the past, then it, it's not that he was the default, but just sort of in the language, right? Yeah. If you pick up a text where it's going to say, he threw the ball, whereas now people consciously try to say he yeah. or she, or switch between he and she. And so what is the discomfort? You know, it's an interesting thing because... I didn't think about it until it was a conversation. <laughs> so yeah. now I I think about okay, if I was going to if I was going to think about this and feel a discomfort, what would I choose? And for me because whenever we use she, we're definitely talking about a female person. Yeah. Then I couldn't really do that. But I do understand the discussion about he if you think about it as well as if you view the world as men oppressing women and men having power and excluding women then it kind of just plays it further into that narrative oh god is masculine and so the almost allah what what people are are actually thinking about but maybe almost oh so even god has to be a man and, and trying to sort of take back some kind of power in a symbolic way um and you know i it's interesting because i i understand it more within christianity because i think they have a serious problem where god is literally this a man a white man like he is one thing and so everyone who looks like that thing is therefore closer to god i mean Mm -hmm. by by definition um and i do think that because we have a clear Akita, we know that's not the case Mm -hmm. so that Akita definitely needs to be explained if there are people who misunderstand it um yeah, I I understand what you're saying because I can't say that this was innately a difficulty for me. It's just like, oh, so people are bringing this as an issue, okay, let me think about it. But I, I do think it would be a little too clumsy. Like I think, okay, maybe you could change it and, and use one of God's ninety nine names, but then you always have to say the name, you can never say a pronoun. Can that ever become natural? I'm not I'm not really sure. Maybe if you make the yeah. effort, I don't know.
1: Then but, okay, then how are you gonna make a du'a? In English, Arab, how are you going to recite certain surah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because again, if you're yeah. going to t- take issue with it in English, you're going to take issue with it in Arabic, right? But here's another yeah. point: if you indulge yourself mm. in these sensitivities, right, then there's no stopping. And I get then here's the next question: Why did Allah create Adam before Eve? Why did He create Eve from Adam? He took from the flesh of Adam. So he created Adam, السلام, Sayyidina Adam, السلام, from the soils of the earth and the waters of the heavens. This is what's said, right? He created Eve, however, from the flesh of Adam. He did not create Eve, Hawa, from the soils of the earth mm-hmm. and the waters of the heaven equally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he created Adam and he let him sit for five hundred half a day in the heaven, 500 years, okay? Mm-hmm. 500 years. So that the, everyone could, other angels would pass and look at him and mm. wonder, right? Be in a state of wonderment. And he took all this time to create Adam slowly, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yet Hawat was created while Adam was taking a nap. Mm. So if someone is going to indulge the nafs yeah. in these sensitivities and doubts, you are actually, I'm telling you, the root of the cause, the root of the issue mm. is, do you have a tasleem to Allah Ta'ala? That's going to be the root question, mm-hmm. right? Because if I believe that Allah is the creator, that's number one. Number two, I believe he's wise. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Number three, I can never see the world through his lens. Mm-hmm. I can never see the universe through his lens. Mm-hmm. How, it's impossible, right? How could a 7 year you expect a seven-year-old to understand a master chess player, right? His moves. I don't understand his moves, right? You'll never understand everything about his wisdom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay? And number four, let's not forget who we are. Nothing, mm-hmm. right? And if we were thrown into non-existence, no injustice would have been done. If we were thrown into a fire, no injustice would be done. So let's not forget who's boss, mm. right? And who's the slave. Yeah. So when I look at this, there comes a point where I indulge and I allow for discussions to take, like, to with. There right. comes a point of, who's at the door? him. come on in. <laughs> All right, now we have welcoming, uh, and she's saying she doesn't want to be in the podcast, but... Uh, Nurdeen's mom has just come in, right? But you agree with me here. Like, there's a, there is a point where there is teslim, right? You stop. Remember, who are you dealing with? You're yes. dealing with Allah, Lord of, of the Worlds, right? Yeah. So there is a point where I could say, yeah, okay, fine, we'll discuss that, right? But there is a there must be a point of saying, hey, let's wake up here, right? Let's really wake up. This we're dealing with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Yeah. Let's cool it. Number one, you think he's gonna? You think you are gonna want? better for
2: yourself than Allah? Mm, no way. You know, uh, I think again, as Nuruddin said, part of the problem is, you know, we, we got to put this thing in a context, right? Mm-hmm. A historical context. I mean, hmm. if, we, if we look at it, you know, from European history, hmm. from European history, there was a time clearly women were seen as inferior to men. Soulless. Uh, no souls. I mean, so, you know, the, the idea of uh, God, uh, Allah, you know, who or what is Allah? Re- really? I mean, look, uh, what's his name? Michelangelo painted this wonderful picture in the Sistine Chapel mm-hmm. of Allah as a white man. He actually looked like a Roman emperor or something. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a Roman toga and reaching out to Moses and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, Allah says, if we believe this in the Bible make no graven images Mm -hmm. of anything in the heavens and the earth don't worship them don't bow down to them and so on Christians Europeans have taken up taken it upon themselves to say well no you know we want to make images of God Mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, and things get confusing You, you call God father right now obviously if you're saying he's a father then he's a man, Mm -hmm. right? He is male. And I've actually heard Christian ministers say this. Yeah, God created man, Adam, in his own image and likeness. Mm -hmm. So if we know what men are like, so you know what God God is like too. Uh, You know, the Jews don't have this problem because they, you know, whatever issues they may have. They've never had an issue as far as I know of creating an Im- you know image. an image and say yeah this is what god looks like mm-hmm. the christians have this problem and uh, so yeah the reaction of the women of course is to then say well you know we w- we've had you know 2000 years of mm-hmm. calling god he we want to balance it now and you know call him she i mean you know god according to them even he had a son mm-hmm. you know i think the bible says something about Jesus Christ being the visible image mm-hmm. of the invisible God so again once again you have a man of course to them a white man being God so you know a lot of women now you know feeling kind of left out they mm-hmm. want some balance so that whole theology well, then you need to have a mother and a, and a daughter oh, and oh, the Holy Ghost right and and they have they've they've published uh, female written bibles with all of this stuff in it so but what we're noting is reactions to christianity should
1: not ever be equated to reactions in islam right like many people equate matters that occurred in christianity matters occurred in islam you can never make those analogies and i'll just give you a simple one they say okay well prohibition didn't work right prohibition of alcohol didn't work in america Right? So if we had a Muslim country, you also shouldn't try it. Don't try it because no. it didn't work. It didn't work for whom? Mm. It didn't work for a people right, who do not have access to the nur that a Muslim has access to. We believe that. We, we believe that the nur of Allah Ta'ala comes through recitation of Qur'an, through shahada of la ilaha illallah, Rasulullah. bil mu'mineen, Raufur Rahim. For the believers, there's something special. Ra'fa al rahmah A special ra'uf ar exclusive. أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Exclusive dhikr of Allah. تَصْمَئِنُ الْقُلُوبِ Hearts are settled. right? So you're denying me my favorite thing, whatever it is, my alcohol. okay? But without Islam, without Iman, okay? yes, they have the religion, but it wasn't al right? You have a reaction. You cannot expect the one who does have al-Haqq and does have Allah pouring a rahmah down on him, and he has nur, and he has Dhikr, and he has Tuma'neena, and Sakina, He's not going to have the same reaction. So likewise, we have the same thing with Christianity in terms of the masculine deity, mm-hmm. male deity, mm-hmm. should say, mm-hmm. and you have the rejection of science, and you have a problem with the religion and the state. Mm-hmm. This this mm-hmm. Christ- Christianity was never meant to, ru- to to rule. It has no law, right? Mm-hmm. There's no sense of governance. Where's your sunnah of governance in Christianity? So never uh, Prophet Isa mm-hmm. never governed, right? Sahaba never governed. There's no law on this, right? There's no guidance on this. So what did the the Christian world do? It reacted with feminism, reacted with secularism, reacted with scientism, right? And Muslims growing up in the West, and the whole world is Hellenized, -Hellenized, you could say, American uh, uh, Hellenism, right? So this has touched now Arabs, they think like this. We are now absorbing reactions that didn't happen because of our deen, happened because of a false deen, right? And we do hold Christianity with our respect to them. There are allies in many fields. It's a false dean, right? Mm-hmm. It's the reason why you have atheist reactions. It's the reason why you have all these reactions. Mm-hmm. So whenever people lump, okay, the Abrahamic faiths. I'm like, see, mm-hmm. hold on a second. Yeah. I don't want to lump in that. Mm-hmm. You're the reason there's secularism and atheism mm-hmm. and radical f- and feminine all these things. Right? Your priests themselves didn't couldn't tell you that women have a soul. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. Don't you have Mary though? What's her, what about her? She carried so-called god in in your theology, right? Mm-hmm. And she didn't have a soul. So he was born to someone soulless. Mm-hmm. So that's my point when it comes to the comparison issue. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that for in one sense as a community, I do think <clears throat> we have to take the concern seriously for people who are genuine and are really troubled by yeah. particular issues. Um, at the same time absolutely I think unfortunately there are Muslims in general but I just particularly speak to Muslim women who have this kind of reactionary um, point of view or joining with feminism not realizing that we don't have the same issues that they are reacting Mm -hmm. to and so our job really whatever we see in our community that is misogynistic or or whatever else um, is our job is really to go back to go back to the sources we don't need Mm -hmm. we don't need feminism in particular to um, to gain whatever rights that we're looking for we really need to go back to the sunnah um, but then at the same time, there, there will still be this issue of if your primary view is feminism, then you may even look at the Sunnah as, as certain aspects as misogynistic. So, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of just a, the, the same issue that we sort of began with, which is our sort of academic, liberal, progressive views versus our Islamic views yeah. in our community.
1: And uh, another point that I want uh, to just to bring up is to be fair, there are certain strands in our ummah where life as a woman is very tough. There are strands. But we have to know that what's the basis is their Ijtihad. Yeah. It could be right or wrong, but it's, that's their opinion, right? So there are strands, and I'm not going to name names, but there are strands in Islam. They have very tough rules. If you are an educated, open, you know, the world's open to you, you've, ed- you've been educated, you have ability to do things, right? That do shut and suppress that it will be suppressive, right? Mm-hmm. For that type, of, for, from from that perspective, it won't be suppressive if you don't see anyone else. Yeah, if you've never seen another uh, any other option of living, you would not view it as suppressive. Yeah. And you can go to uh, other Muslim environments mm-hmm. where there are. So I want to make it known to listeners out there that we I do recognize there are some, but what are they? Is it the core of the faith, the deen? No, it's strands. That's how they chose to live. Mm-hmm. It's not uh everything it's not all the ummah so this is the beauty of islam is the beauty of islam is if you're frustrated by something you got to separate is it the itch jihad of this localized community and group of scholars even it right. could be based on scholarship right but that scholarship you know it doesn't suit me that opinion doesn't suit me that way of being doesn't suit me that it's jihad mm-hmm. and you can go and find the same exact uh, uh, uh sources scholarship and they're producing the opposite opinion right and that's where the idea of tawaf around the masajid is very important for someone seeking in that you should not, you should not consider one local experience mm-hmm. to be the only experience, mm-hmm. right? And even Sheikh Nuh writes in one of his books um, or one of the articles that he always felt that the tablighi uh, jama'ah, brothers from the tablighi, they were so mellow. Like what are the reasons they're so mellow in their Islam? Like mm-hmm. they're not making takfir, they're not going crazy about certain things. Why? They've been to so many different masajid they see seen how Islam is practiced differently by mm-hmm. pious people. Everyone's pious. In Masajid, imam, scholars. But they live totally differently on certain issues. Mm-hmm. right? So that's the issue which brings up, which leads us to the issue of the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do have time, because Maghrib is coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the st- importance of the heart, because we are talking about, when we talk about issues, we got to sort of limit it from getting personal. And the way to limit it mm-hmm. is to remember what are you doing to your heart yeah Right. so why don't you tell us a little bit uh you know brooklyn you just where you grew up is not really a self-oriented place i mean no
0: you know
1: uh <laughs> so tell us like was was when, when you were exposed to so when i was exposed to it yeah. I, I had a reaction right yeah. and my uh me, my whole community didn't really I was like what is this we don't have this type of thing in it's not right mm-hmm. but then you have to find what is true of it and what is not so why don't you talk yeah. a little bit about yeah. that
0: uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think in uh, in Brooklyn, then the environment was Salafism or what we call Salafism light. So not okay. necessarily the hardcore stuff, but um, basically that framework. And I think all Muslims talk about purifying the heart to some degree. But mm-hmm. there was a sort of direct attack and detachment from Tisawaf and Tarikas in particular. But Hamdan Actually, part of my experience growing up was going to um, vicar gatherings, mashallah. So that was a part of my experience when mm. I was very young.
1: Your dad took you? Yes. Oh,
0: <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I, I kind of had both. And then when I was older, um, it was funny because I was telling my dad about... Uh, this is a while ago that I was telling him about one of the songs that they used to sing at the Vicar mm-hmm. gathering. It's like, you remember that? <laughs> Mashallah. So it really stuck with me. And I think that there was a part of me that was looking for that when I got yeah. older. Um, and I think the heart is so important. I've, I've kind of realized in talking so much about social issues that at a certain point we have to ask ourselves like, okay, but what is all of this really for? What is the point in any of this because some of these issues and in, in particular because i'm um, talking about uh women's issues often some of these issues absolutely they are real at the same time i think we do have to take a step back and ask ourselves is this actually bringing me closer to Allah, mm. Subhanahu wa ta'ala? Mm. um i just thought of, of this example uh for some reason this was on my mind earlier that last ramadan there was a woman who um she'd been retweeted so ever many times um at least on muslim twitter quote unquote Mm -hmm. and she had said that muslim women should be able to fast when they're on their menstruation Mm -hmm. and there when i really thought about that i thought about okay what is the point of this person making this public you know and i'm obviously that that is not correct as far as we know according to you know the majority opinion at the same time and Please correct me if I'm wrong in any way. At the same time, there's a part of me that thought, if that is what you honestly believe will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because technically, no, you can't fast. But if you feel like I don't want to eat, even though I'm on my menstruation, and I think for whatever reason, this will bring me closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you personally feel that way, and that possibly is your pathway to God, wouldn't you just do it? What is the point of the tweet? Mm. And so I feel like we have to be careful sometimes in constantly talking about social issues that we ask ourselves, okay, I'm fighting for this thing, but is this actually going to bring me closer yeah. to Allah, Because that's the real goal. That has to be the underlying goal um, under all of this. So uh, absolutely, Tisawaf is is incredibly important, mm. and that's whether you want to join a tariqah, which... I definitely wouldn't necessarily recommend. I think you have to want to do that for yourself and find the right one. And there are shuyuk or fakes out there. So you do have to be careful um, because that's a serious commitment and people can mm-hmm. be messed up if they go to the wrong shuyuk. So you have to be careful. But just to begin on the journey of trying to draw nearer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and there are, you know, um, dhikr that you can get just straight from hadith and du'a mm-hmm. you can ju- get um, straight from hadith and Quran. Um, and just trying to practice that more with the intention of purifying ourselves and drawing near to us upon Yeah,
1: there was an incident in which a woman said to Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad that she's going to pray up front, <laughs> like it or not. <laughs> and he said, okay. So she did, mm-hmm. right? And then some time passed. And then she was apparently in his office hours. And he said, how did that work out? Mm. did you feel like it drew you near to Allah And she sort of was embarrassed right because it was like a type of social reaction. you're using it to, the the deen as a pawn right right to check your opponent or to bother your opponent or something make some kind of thing. And if you say, oh, well did it actually draw you near right uh, like right they like they, as Allah says about the Christians they invented some ibadah right to draw near to Allah mm-hmm. right so but they didn't follow it properly right and it harmed them right it didn't benefit them but uh, so that's the issue is always going back to the objective mm-hmm. like what is actually the objective of this thing and that's why a lot of groups right a lot of groups who lack this they end up you notice a flaw in the character right what, uh, Act too much too much political Islam. Mm-hmm. Too much, even too much fiqh, right? Mm-hmm. You end up uh, as a way for Allah to show the people that this is not right, uh, an error develops, mm-hmm. which will push people away, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like a type of either harshness develops or, um, you know, a spiritual drought develops, mm-hmm. something like this, or anger issues develop, mm-hmm. right? From the lack of Tisawf. Now, mm-hmm. I think that Tisawf we should what we should spread is the actual talim of Tasawf, which is the basic what are muhlikat as Imam al-Ghazali, the things that destroy, and the Munjiat, the things that save. Yeah. And dhikrillah. Dhikrilla must be mm-hmm. constant, 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 even if you have issues, even if you have sins. And the those are the two things that should spread far and wide amongst people. And honestly, one of the best dhikrs if you have a masjid that you feel happy with the company there and the people there mm-hmm. and you enjoy going going to massage it is mm-hmm. the best like what does allah call uh, the prophet i said called the people of Masajid? mosque doves mm-hmm. right you have rink rats gym rats <laughs> bookworms mosque doves why because your heart becomes cleaner and cleaner and you're flying oh, really? that takes us to our last thing how did you get around to writing the book and mm-hmm. tell us a little bit i mean we're inching up upon al Maghrib. But tell us, but we do have like 10 minutes. Tell us a little bit about your your upbringing, background, how you got into this and how you ended up writing the book.
0: Okay. Um, well, I wrote the book. It's so funny because I two other people asked me that today. So I'm mm-hmm. like, didn't we talk about this? But no, I wasn't here. Much um, so I wrote the book um, because... I was interested in Aisha bint and knowing that she was the beloved of the Prophet I just wanted to and and our great one of our greatest scholars i just wanted to learn more about her for that reason and i was actually in a class with imam amin when he told us about the reward of preserving 40 hadith Mm -hmm. and i remember asking him something like you know even if you did it in english and maybe he said something like inshallah you know and inshallah Mm -hmm. right Um, so in that moment i thought wow that's such an easy thing to do why don't i do that Mm Um, but like a lot of things we say that about, it kind of just slipped away. Yeah. But alhamdulillah, about a year later, when I was in Jordan, I said, you know what? No, why don't I really do that? Mm. And so I made the first version of it, which was literally just 40 hadith. I gathered, put on PDF. People could download it from my blog. And then a while later, I said, you know what? Why don't I do this well? Mm. <laughs> right? Why don't I actually put in the effort and, and research her life and do a biography, and, and also gather hadith that didn't need further context mm-hmm. so people could read it and understand it and that's benefit cool. from it. So, alhamdulillah, and that's what I did. And and I really appreciate what you said about the cover because, mashallah, yeah. we'll this book I really created, like uh, it's almost partly an art project, maybe yeah. you can say, because I did everything for yeah. the book, and alhamdulillah, that was a good experience as well. Um, and so that that's how the book came about. And I also felt like um, making this contribution to women being able to see themselves in the tradition. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely understand that level of unease if you go to the lectures, which alhamdulillah has changed a lot in the past few years. Mm-hmm. But to go when it was the, the case that you go to the lectures and you only see men, unfortunately, usually the only religious event we're going to is the conference or the masjid. Mm-hmm. So then I think there is a, a maybe a subliminal message that happens for women that this is not for you. Yeah. So it was incredibly valuable for me just to bring her story back to life, that, yes, she was a scholar, but how? And let's learn a little bit more about her story. And this is just an introduction that hopefully will get people more interested um, in her, inshallah ta'ala, anha. Uh, so that, alhamdulillah, that was the, the uh, what I wanted to put out first. And in terms of my background, I think we spoke a bit. Yeah, we spoke about, yeah, my childhood and all yeah. that. Okay. So um, alhamdulillah, we grew up in Brooklyn, as I think we mentioned, also my parents being Caribbean immigrants. And we grew mm. up in East Flatbush, where a lot of uh, Caribbean immigrants settled. And uh, with my five sisters, only it's sisters, <laughs> no brothers, alhamdulillah. And uh, growing up in Masjid al Masjid Khalifa, those were our local masjids. And, uh, mashallah, I actually studied academically psychology mm. before just being interested enough in the deen to, to continue on that pathway. Um, and then I think a lot of people would probably know me or most likely from my blog as well. Mm. I started that after... What's it called again? Bythefigandtheolive.com. Okay, com. good. And I started that after let's see, after graduate school, to try mm-hmm. and do what I felt like Hamnida um, Sheikhno had done in bringing together the academia mm. and our religious understanding. And there not being this gap, because I even, I felt it in myself as well, that it's like, okay, turn off religion, think academic, turn off yeah. academia, think religious. And it's like, no, it, it really doesn't have to be that way. Even though society may not agree with Islam on a lot of things, there are, I really feel like most of the issues that we that we um, promote in Islam are, you can find the research on it. It may not be mm-hmm. the popular <laughs> research, but you can find it. Um, there, was, there was someone who asked me recently, a Muslim psychologist, like, how do they deal with this transgender issue? And I said to them, "Look for the research from non-Muslims. because yeah. if you try to approach it as a Muslim, obviously they're going to say, "You're a bigot, yeah. they're not going to listen to you." But there is research from non-Muslims who there was one doctor who um, he was doing that surgery, and he stopped. He said, "People's lives are not improving. The suicide yeah. rate is the same. Subhan- I'm not doing this anymore. So you it's there, but we have to be willing to find it, and we also have to be humble enough. Um, For those who are in college or or just in academia, to realize that more than likely we didn't actually take the time to learn our deen the way we're learning academia. So take time also to understand the religion, as as putting as much or at least some effort as well into understanding it the way that we put forward into academia.
1: And and one of the best bridges, and by necessity, is basic logical principles that Mm -hmm. Islam is founded upon. Right, we're, we, we're, we, Our knowledge is based upon reason, transmission and observation Right, All of knowledge is based upon this If you underst- if a Muslim understands the rational basis of why he accepts that there is a creator And why he accepts that the Messenger wa sallam, is truthful If you can articulate that or write it out or say it You realize you are not just taking a belief and, trend- and putting it upon reality You have a rational basis and those rational tools by which you had arrived at that, at those beliefs, are all the same rational tools you use for everything, mm. right? We corroborate, right? We, uh-huh. yeah, we yeah. corroborate. We, we have, we accept transmission. Transmitted mm. knowledge is a fact, right? Um, so it's only when a person believes that religion is merely revelation, okay, that makes it impossible to merge the two. But once you realize. Even your revelation is based. Your belief in revelation is based mm-hmm. on rational basis, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, I believe in the Quran. It's in the Quran. Okay, where did you get? The, why do you believe the Quran is the word of Allah? Mm-hmm. Right? Be, right? Why don't you believe it was changed? Okay. Why do we, Why do you believe in the prophets? All of that has a rational basis. Mm-hmm. These people haven't given it thought. They're just right. born into it right. and they're stuck with it, right? Mm-hmm. But you guys think about it and understand the rational basis yeah. and those the, the, those basic tools of logic when a Muslim has them whenever the Muslims have succeeded you look at their great civilizations when they flowered and had victories they always they honored the intellect Mm. and they realized we are being we are Muslim because of the rational basis of of belief are so firm they're unshakable Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah and then when you take that and you go into the world you're gonna you're gonna they're they're like uh, uh, you know like incredible hulks (laughs) Because everything is going th- uh, crisply through the intellect.
2: Yeah. yeah, I just want to say something that may seem like out of left field. Yeah. But, you know, Nuruddin you know, will recall that uh, my wife and I have had quite a few gatherings over the years at our, our home. Mm-hmm. where we invite friends, families, right? And I usually have certain questions that I ask mm-hmm. to really kind of make things interesting. One, and this is a question I ask. How do you know the Holy Quran is the truth? Mm -hmm. I I ask this, right? And people give their reasons. Uh, One of the things, one of the ways I answer the question, this may seem kind of from left field. For many years I read the Quran and I read where, when Allah talks about the story of Musa, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he always calls the ruler of Egypt at the time Mm Pharaoh. But when he talks about the story of Yusuf Mm -hmm. in Egypt. He calls him Malik Mm -hmm. king. And I couldn't understand Mm -hmm. this because as far as I know, Egypt has always been ruled by pharaohs, Mm -hmm. right? Now, without getting into all the details, I did some research and I found out why Mm -hmm. Allah does this. Because it seems, not it seems, according to the historical record, Egypt had been conquered by some foreigners who put one of their own on the throne. Mm -hmm. throne. These people were called Hyksos. Mm And so, he was a king. He was not a pharaoh. Now, the point is this. In the, this, this story of Musa, is told many, many times in the Quran, and Allah is always very careful to call one pharaoh mm-hmm. and the other one Malik. Malik. Now, people may say a whole lot of things about Prophet Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was crazy. He had epileptic fits. Mm. He was whatever. One thing they've never said mm. is he was a... Student of ancient Egyptian His- history, <laughs> <laughs> and he yeah. knew that there uh-huh. was a period in Egypt yeah. uh-huh. when they were not ruled by pharaohs. Uh-huh. They, I think it lasted about 150 years, yeah. where they were ruled by foreign kings. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever said that. Yeah. Nobody ever will say that. Yeah. How on earth did he know that? Mm-hmm. To always make it clear, yeah. pharaoh king. How? How could yeah. he know it? Just wanted to They're going to have to
1: invent Oh, maybe he crossed paths Think about this Oh, yes, he used to go to Syria And cross paths with the monks Really? As a 12-year-old boy That's a discussion (laughs) that's going to come up, right? We're talking about about
2: events that happened You know, basically What are we talking about? 2,500 years or more Before his life survived Alhamdulillah
1: Prophecies of the Prophet I was just teaching this To the youth the other day We got two minutes Before the Adhan comes in But one of my favorite ones Is there will come a time In which the Sandal strap Mm. And the whip Of a man In his hand Will speak to him About what is happening In his home Mm. Right And you taught this This is an amazing thing About You're seeing the truthfulness Of the messenger Happening in your lifetime You taught to teach this hadith Ten years ago the same hadith 10 years ago not too long ago and it's like okay it's a hadith we believe the prophet today you tell a kid this a high schooler he's going to answer you right away alexa right we're talking to we talking to cars all the time he's talking to fridge You talk to i mean there's ai in everything you're talking to everything you and what is the sandal strap and the whip it's a kinaya it's a, like a summary of normal things mm-hmm. telling you about your what's happening in your home what does that mean Telling you about your regular everyday thing like Alexa, well, what's the weather like? Alexa, what's going on here? Right, and you go to homes and you see this happening, and nobody bats an eye. Mm. You're talking to a piece of plastic, right? And nobody bats an eye,
2: mm.
1: right? And I had a kid, and I saw a kid doing his math homework, cheating, and his mom getting upset. Alexa, what's uh, three hundred sixty-five divided <laughs> by four? Right, doing her his math homework on uh, through her. So you you got this, and now you have alex is just like one of many siri mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. uh and whatever else uh, people are coming up with whatever microsoft is come what who's microsoft's character microsoft has an ai character i don't know who it is right so uh mm-hmm. but these but this uh yeah. this is what it is right well, yeah. it's amazing and i you see i'm telling you you see the light change the face change in these youth mm-hmm. like wait a second it's fun. this is haq and i'm telling you i've seen mm-hmm. kids in classes uh, dull faced, you come to this hadith. I was like, "What in the world?" And not and not just as many other hadiths, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. So I recommend if people want to read more about that, go to uh, Yaqeen Institute and you find Muhammad al um, Yeah, is, uh,
2: yeah, from from New
1: York, right? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. yeah, and he he had an interest yeah, in this. I had an interest in this. We crossed paths, and we came to the idea that you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to pitch in as much as I can. The rational proofs for the truthfulness of the Prophet sallallahu <laughs> right?
2: alaihi
1: And once people realize the strength of the rational basis of Islam, you, you, your confidence is just through the roof, right? So we unfortunately have to wrap up here. We now have Nuruddin night, she has family night, she's got another program with the sisters, it's going to go all night, right? Mm-hmm. So Alhamdulillah, Jazakumullah khairan. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, if you have, unless you have any you have any final final words,
2: Good. I have a final word. Final word, let's hear it. Final word is this. Some years ago, when Nuruddin and her younger sister were like teenagers, mm-hmm. I don't know where, where I got this idea from, but it actually was one of the best ideas mm-hmm. in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I said, because, you know, alhamdulillah, I've read the Quran every Ramadan. I may have missed a few since yeah. I accepted Islam, now, but I usually read it. So I wanted to encourage them to do it. So just to make the story very short, I told Nuruddin mm-hmm. and her sister if they completed the reading of the Qur'an, Critical. I would give them $100 a akbar, right? And if they completed reading it before me, because I wanted to encourage them to speed it up, yeah. I'd add another, I think, $25 to the mix. Okay, good. Now, to make a loan story they've never finished doing it before I did, because <laughs> I usually do 20, 25 days. Yes. But they did do it, huh. and they were rewarded for three years after the My third work, year I told them listen I'm going from broke now on, from now on seek your reward from Allah I'm not paying you to you know and I would say Alhamdulillah after doing that it made a very strong impact I'm going to do on their deen and their iman definitely the best hundred dollars I've ever spent I'm doing in that life. Alhamdulillah okay oh. good <laughs> all right I'm, I'm doing
1: that uh, uh, you see, not only that I said Omar did something similar for memorizing mm-hmm. when he found Muslim youth second generation Muslim youth needs to get him going and he had bags of gold. Memorize Bakr, you get a bag of gold. Right? SD, right. So you were following that sunnah, and oh, I'm going to follow Thil it. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> <Nah, shu laughs>